morning, good afternoon, good evening. Hey, this is Ali Amagasu coming to you with the latest episode of Cloud Unfiltered. As always, I am joined by my co-host, Pete Johnson, appears to be coming from the nerd lair in Upper Michigan. Is that correct? Or are you, where are you today? I am indeed in the underground nerd lair where we're actually supposed to get a high of 60 tomorrow and we might get some snow melt as opposed to the three feet of snow that's been piling up in my backyard and outside my driveway. So spring may actually be coming to Michigan here soon. That's weird. It's coming to California the same week as well. This is our first week in the 70s. And I know that sounds like such California whining, but yes, it does. honestly, um, <laughs> February, <laughs> this February was the first February since they have recorded temperatures that we didn't have one day in the 70s in Los Angeles. So well, let, we are let, rightfully let me, put out. Let me make this like more important to the general masses. The construction at Galaxy's Edge at Disneyland has been delayed because of all the rain you guys have been having. There you go. That's that's how real it is. Yeah. Um, so, so I know um, we have been on a tear recently with some really interesting topics and some unusual guests. And I'm not putting you in that category, Joe. You may not be unusual, but uh, today I'm happy to welcome Joe Duffy, the founder and CEO of Bulumi. Joe, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. I'm not saying you're an unusual individual, but I'm saying that in having done a little bit of research about uh, Pulumi, it's certainly not the kind of thing we speak about every day. Um, so I'm very interested in, in hearing how it all works. Um, for those of you who are tuning in right now and aren't familiar with Joe, the man has 27 patents. So watch the heck out. At least that's when, when I did my research, you did. Who knows how many more you've bagged since then. Yeah. And uh, Pulumi, to summarize, is a cloud-native development platform. That's my understanding. That it's an open source project and a commercial service. You can expand on these things, uh, Joe. And then it targets Kubernetes as a layer for multi-cloud app deployment. Am I close on that? That's perfect. Right on the money. Right on. Well, why don't you go ahead and expand and give us a, let's exp why, why did we need Pulumi? What does it do that's different than, than what else is out there right now? Yeah, so I think I approach cloud development from a very different perspective than sort of a lot of folks um, that are in the cloud space uh, today. You know, my background, I was at Microsoft for about 13 years before starting Pulumi about two years ago. The whole time I was there, I was in and around developer tools and technologies and platforms. You know, I worked on the .NET framework, the C-sharp programming language. Uh, I worked on the Windows platform. So I think I approached everything from a sort of, from a software platform perspective. And I think if you look at the, the cloud, there's incredible capabilities in the cloud. And I think, you know, things like containers and serverless and Kubernetes as a platform that's very programmable really resonated with me. Um, you know, you look at serverless programming and it's sort of reminiscent of a lot of event-driven programming that we used to do, you know, with Visual Basic. And even today's, you know, Node.js programs are very event-driven. But it, what I found when I came to the space, and I, I was I was working a lot on, you know, I, I was putting together the project to take .NET open source and cross-platform. And part of the motivation there was actually collaboration with Red Hat and Docker uh, to really make .NET a great first-class environment for Azure applications, because we found, you know, a lot of Azure is actually Linux based. It's not, you know, Windows. Um, and so we found a lot of our customers were having to abandon the .NET platform when they went to the cloud. And as part of that, you know, experience, it was, it was very jarring to me to go from a place, you know, thinking of developer productivity and, and tooling as a first class thing, you know, from programming languages to now suddenly infrastructure is an afterthought. You know, it really harkens back to, if you look how, how do we get to where we are today, 
you look at the transition from you know lift and shift and VMs where developers really didn't have to think about the cloud as part of their application development. They just you kind of wrote code, handed it to their ops team. Their ops team did whatever they needed to configure it and put in a VM and, and every, everybody was happy. Now the pace is just so much faster. The, the granularity of cloud resources is so much more fine grained. It's much more part of the application's architecture. It's not an afterthought any longer. And what we found when we started, you know, Eric, my co-founder and I, we really just sat down and started exploring the space. And what we found was this huge disconnect wasn't just techno technological, it was also cultural. You talk to a lot of teams where, you know, DevOps has come a long way in the last, you know, 15 years. Chef and Puppet have done great, you know, great things to that community. Uh, technologies like Terraform and even the cloud vendors themselves have really embraced this. But we still find when we talk to teams, we've got the ops team over here and the dev team over here. And people are clamoring for new ways of collaborating and breaking down some of those silos. And we really thought, you know, hey, with Pulumi, we're gonna bet on programming languages. We're gonna bet on platforms like we know and love. We're not gonna create another YAML sort of, you know, templating solution. We're gonna think of this as a first class software engineering principled approach and see where it takes us. Uh, and two years later, you know, we've, we've had a lot of success. It's really resonating with uh, our user base and, uh, and now we're just sort of building from there. We have the foundation in place, and it's really been a very powerful initial set of maybe radical bets, but they, they've really paid off and, and struck a chord with people. So what is it that Pulumi does then? I mean, you, you gave me great insight into what was driving you toward starting this, but what is it that Pulumi does or is? So I think of Pulumi is two things. One, it's open source and open source SDK uh, for doing infrastructure as code. Um, and so this is a common thing, you know, CloudFormation does this, Azure Resource Manager templates does this, in some sense Helm and Kubernetes YAML does this, and of course Terraform, but we've done it sort of differently. You can use programming languages you know and love, so you can use JavaScript, TypeScript, Go, Python. Uh, we've got on a roadmap, you know, .NET, Java. And because you're using real languages, you can benefit from abstraction. You can build bigger things out of smaller things. You can use your existing package managers to share reusable components. So I can't tell you how many customers we work with that have the same thousand or 2000 lines of boilerplate to set up an Amazon VPC network in, in AWS or, you know, take your favorite example. We can create a package out of that. And now it's shareable, it's reusable, it's easy to, you know, you don't have to copy and paste. So that's one part, the, the SDK, and that's all open source. The second part is a SaaS offering that was co-designed. So it goes hand in hand with the open source. And it's sort of the easiest way to operationalize continuous delivery of your infrastructure, rigorous deployments where you have full auditing history of who changed what and when, and we integrate with your source control provider. So you can actually go from, hey, on date X, somebody deployed some changes. You can see what the changes are. You can go back to GitHub and see the code as it was checked in. And so it's really a suite that allows the collaboration for developers and operators to actually go into production with um, solutions that use the Pulumi SDK. That sounds amazing. Pete, does this raise some questions for you? Yeah, it does. So, so let me let me try to restate that based on the one of the container examples that you have on your website. So there's a there's an example that you guys have where you're deploying Nginx to AWS Fargate. And if you want to be real strict about it, instead of using some kind of cloud formation where you have to go learn the file format and all the intricacies of that, instead, you show an example where you can deploy it in three lines of node code. 
Right. So, so in the SaaS, so, so does that, I guess, so it sounds like, and correct me if I've got this, if I've got this wrong, that node code will run on your SaaS, translate that to whatever the set of either API calls or cloud formation calls it needs to under the hood. And then it gives you some historical tracking and, and some of those other things you mentioned. How, how close am I to? That's very close. I, and I think the key is, you know, with the SaaS, what you're saying is exactly right. And the key thing is the SaaS helps you do that in a team environment. So you can actually, a lot of people are using it for sort of GitOps workflow where you're not manually doing deployments, but instead you're triggering those deployments, you know, maybe based on a push of a branch to another branch. And the key, another key thing that resonates with a lot of our customers is it, it works the same way regardless of which cloud you're going to. And so we actually have customers doing on-prem, you know, hybrid, Kubernetes on-prem, Kubernetes hosted in EKS or AKS or GKE. And that workflow you describe is consistent regardless of where you're going. Yeah. So that so it's it's interesting to me that you've taken this idea of of abstraction, and I mean these things are always cyclical. You you but you've moved it back into code and away from configuration, which is an interesting take, right? Because we've had so for so many years the other way that hey you don't have to learn programming here's a here's a config file that can do this all for you. But I guess what led to the decision to take that the other way and in, instead do it in code instead of what has become, you know, this cumbersome set of different configuration formats and weird nesting and, and all that kind of stuff. It's partially, I think, our background. You know, we've, my co-founder and I have, you know, we've designed several programming languages in the past. You know, we actually worked in Microsoft Research on on a new operating system, a distributed operating system uh, that had its own programming language. So we had a lot of experience building languages, but we actually started with, hey, let's do another templating solution. You see a lot of these solutions out there that are templating on top of YAML. Um, yeah. But that, that really just made it feel even ickier, right? It's, you know, doing four loops in YAML, it feels like you're swimming upstream. It does. And it feels like you're kind of treating YAML like assembly language. And so, if you draw the analogy of high-level programming languages, you know, yes, assembly language is still there, and there's still the instruction byte byte code for the, your target processor. But today, these days, people program in C or JavaScript or Java, and they compile down to that target. And so we sort of thought of it in a similar sense. So, like, there is still configuration. It's actually a key important thing. We are still infrastructure as code. So you can still, when you're doing deployments, it's not the wild west. You still see the diffs before you do the deployments. And it's really the marriage of infrastructure as code with programming languages, which I think makes it a little bit special because you know, you've got Bodo, right? You know, like the AWS Python SDK and all the clouds have their own SDKs. You can go write programming, you, know, you program right. code if you want, but it's not reliable, it's not robust. If something fails, there's no sense of rollback. It's not auditable, so you don't know who changed what. And so that was the key difference was the marriage of those two concepts. Right, now, now what impressed me about the abstraction specifically with the serverless and so this is where Ali's warning is 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 coming true is is that you didn't just go for the compute part of serverless when you built these abstractions but there's there's a table on your serverless page so if you literally go to pulumi slash serverless there's a nice table you have in there where you describe the different building blocks of serverless and you describe them in very abstract terms in terms of object storage, data storage, timers, queues, topics, and so forth. And then what that maps to on the different public clouds. And, and I was impressed by that because I've, I've seen different abstractions, but they usually stop 
at the compute layer. What is it that led you to sort of take in the, the bigger picture for this as it relates to serverless? Yeah, so across the entire stack, and this is true of containers as well, we've sort of layered the system. So it's kind of interesting. And you can you can sort of pick the layer at which you want to program. And right. it's similar to, to, say, file system APIs in uh, Node.js or something. If you know you're targeting Win32, you can just code to the Win32 APIs. If you want a higher productivity thing, you can program to these higher level nicer abstractions. But the way they work is they just layer on top. It's turtles all the way down, right? It's just code. And so because we use code, we can do the same thing. We can just build abstractions and we can deliver abstractions that make sense at different, you know, for different user um, types or, you know, cohorts, if you will. Uh, so like, you know, a DevOps engineer probably wants to program at the raw low level bits and bytes of everything. So we actually right. have the raw low level uh, providers that everything bottoms out on that gives you full blown access to every single property, every single resource type in every cloud that you might want to go for. On top of that, we layer these productivity libraries so you don't always have to you know, repeat yourself. So that network example I gave is another. What you're referring to is this, this high, high level uh, layer that actually we build that sort of for productivity for developers that really just want to get up and running as quickly as possible. You know, and, and they just want to say, hey, every hour, fire a timer and run this piece of code. Or, you know, hey, you know, here's a queue. And anytime anybody inserts into the queue, just run this little function over here. Right. And what we find today is like you write your 20 lines of JavaScript that you want to run every time, you know, every hour or what have you. But then you have to go write a thousand lines of YAML to configure the CloudFormation templates or, or whatever it is. Right. So we really took those patterns and we said, hey, what are the most common patterns? And how do we just make that as little code, as easy to write as possible? And then we focus on maybe, you know, 10 to 12 of those patterns. And those, those are the ones that you're referring to. Now, the important thing is you can mix and match these. You know, a lot of people say, well, then you're just, you know, that's just the lowest common denominator, so it's never gonna be as powerful. But the key, the key thing is you can choose to program at this level, that level, or the low level, and you can you can even mix them in the same program depending on what what's appropriate. Right. So for example, like the if you go a little bit further down the containers page, the initial the initial containers example you have is that Nginx example that I mentioned earlier. But a little bit later, you've got a second example that, okay, if I use Pulumi to deploy the initial uh, Nginx, but then I can still attach a Docker file to this to do like the file copy from, you know, some shared drive that I have locally to like, you know, to a www folder that's on my target container. So that's what you're, so is that what you mean by kind of mixing and matching these where I can still go to my native tools if I need to? Absolutely. I think having answers along different points of the spectrum, you know, I'm a big fan of Heroku, you know, and in, in, in App Engine and a lot of these passes, but I think the place where passes go wrong is they are opinionated, which works until it doesn't work. And then right. there's no way to pierce beneath that abstraction layer. And that's because typically these passes are sort of special purpose. Because we're programming language, it's like I said, the turtles all the way down thing, right? So like, if you know that there's a property deep down there that you wanna get your hands on, we're not gonna hide that from you. Right. Uh, and, and, and that spectrum is really the, the, the really powerful thing that's, that's very different. Now, what about the onboarding of this? So, so this works, I can see how this would work spectacularly if you're doing this greenfield, right? But let's say I already have you know, some kind of Terraform investment, or maybe I already have a bunch of Docker files. How do I bring, how do I onboard this from a Brownfield perspective? Almost every customer, 
not even almost every customer we work with is dealing with a brownfield situation. That that's definitely true. Uh, so we've gotten really good at having answers for all those different ones that you mentioned. Um, you know, Terraform, for example, we actually have full fidelity. We can actually leverage the Terraform provider ecosystem. So any Terraform program, we actually have a conversion tool that will convert it over to Pulumi. And, and it, it works, you know, 97% of the code just works. And then there's a few places you have to fix up, but it really helps with that conversion. Sure. CloudFormation, ARM templates, Helm charts, Kubernetes YAML. We actually allow you to take these and deploy them as is through Pulumi. So, you know, if, if you just wanted to deploy an existing cloud, I see. Template, you can do that. What most customers do is they'll they'll do that to start, and then they'll start peeling pieces out and converting. Moving them some of it over into code because you have this notion of them running in conjunction. If you wanted to dip down to the details, you can just start with the details and try to move stuff up the stack. Exactly, and, and okay, nice. Code, the the other nice thing about code is you get IDEs, right? So you get an editor, whatever your favorite editor is, just works, and you get refactoring. So in this process you're mentioning, you know, you've got all the now you've brought it all into code. And now it's a matter of refactoring. And you can even do things like, you know, you know, extract into class. Like a lot of these refactoring tools will help you actually create right. these abstractions. And now, now you're just like running full speed ahead. And and Plumi works really well for the incremental updating. So anytime you make one of these refactorings, you just run Plumi up and it's going to show you what changed before it makes those changes, and then we'll keep right. on of it. And so it's all incremental. Now, how does um, how does this get priced? Yeah, so we have a few solutions, and we're actually working on launching a few um, changes to that uh, shortly. Right now, we have a pretty, pretty great free tier. So when you download the open source, um, by default, and you can opt out of this if you don't if you don't want to, but by default, it will actually use our SaaS for deployments, for the state management, for concurrency control. And that's all free. Uh, and that's basically for individual usage. Uh, okay. we, we have people using it in Teams as well, but a lot of the collaboration features just aren't there. And so that's where what we call the Team Edition comes in. The Team Edition basically allows you to take any you know, GitHub org, Atlassian org, GitLab org, and onboard them. And that we're doing a per user pricing. We're in the middle of transitioning uh, from our old pricing model, but it's a pretty de minimis per user pricing. And then we have the enterprise addition as well for people who need SAML or on-prem installations. I was about to ask, how many different pricing models have you had since you started? Because <laughs> like that's like a litmus test for, for, uh, for a startup, right? My, my father-in-law was a building inspector for many years, and he always used to tell me that there's no home improvement project worth doing that doesn't require at least three trips to the hardware store. So I think if you take that same analogy, right, there's yeah. no startup worth working for that hasn't changed its pricing model three times. So are you, are you up to three yet, or is this just trial two? Well, this this will be at least number four if you count Ooh. the ones we didn't publish. But there you okay. go. Yeah, I count that. I totally count that. You you spent time on it and thought about it. So yeah, I completely count that. You know, I think the takeaway there is we definitely overthought it, and we overthought it for all the right reasons. But we definitely overthought it, and so the feedback was like, hey, the pricing because we're we're charging per per service basically, uh -huh. uh, which accidentally penalize people that were doing microservices and that was not our intent we right. wanted to make it consumption pricing you know because that's it's it's just easier you you know the more you use the more you pay for it and you're seeing value and so it makes sense it's aligned but per user everybody just understands per user it's so much so much easier to explain and project and budget for so that's right. what we're switching to okay hey, now what about Oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I was just going to ask him if he um, could tell us what it looks like in the real world, like uh, if you can give us a few case studies. 
Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, we have, so the interesting thing is we have a broad spectrum of customers, uh, and that's why we're we're launching these pricing changes because we want to cater to every point along that spectrum. I would say you know we've got from you know single DevOps engineers in in a team of ten that want to use Pulumi to to just be rapidly improving and they want to empower their developers to actually contribute to some of the infrastructure so they're no longer the bottleneck that's a common thing for us in fact we're launching some startup discount offers because we've got a few y combinator companies a few tech stars companies you know accelerators we're starting to partner with some accelerators to to, to go get presentations and basically the idea there is like you just started a company do you want to spend the next month bringing up your infrastructure or would you rather do that in an afternoon in a way where you can empower your team to help and so it's, that's really resonating. But a lot of people in between, I think the, the mid-market for us is sort of a sweet spot. These are the shop, you know, maybe 20 to 50 person teams where again, they have to deal with multiple clouds. They, they might have dev and DevOps, but then all the way up to Fortune 500 companies where, you know, a thousand person infrastructure team, uh, we're working with a fairly large financial, a couple of financial firms in, in New York, but one of them is really, they're basically, you know, they just decided to go all in on Kubernetes, and they're already decide they were already dealing with Azure and AWS deployments, and then you throw Kubernetes into the mix, and it was sort of the straw that broke the camel's back. And they were like, "Hey, we're going to take a step back and really rethink how we're doing continuous delivery, but also infrastructure and application delivery across our entire organization." And Plumi resonated with them because technologies out there are specific to a cloud or or specific to containers or serverless or this or that. So we're one of the few platforms out there that's really taken this broad uh, view on the, on the market. Is there a vertical that you guys would cater to or is it just happened that a couple of financial companies have, have gravitated toward your product? Yeah, we debated going vertical to start, but we found you know a lot of traction sort of across the board. So we decided, hey, you know, to do the thing you're never supposed to do with a startup is to build a, a, a horizontal platform. I think financial, I see a lot of people that are really cutting. It's funny, at Microsoft, you know, programming languages, it was always the financial companies that were doing cool things with, you know, fun, you know, functional programming and new programming languages. And I see a lot of early adoption of, you know, Kubernetes and containers in the, in the financial segment. But for sure, we're seeing it across the board. You know, we have a you know, German autom automobile manufacturer that's uh, successfully using Pulumi for Kubernetes as well. What we're finding is Kubernetes isn't the sole reason to pick Pulumi, but it's often the sort of catalyst for people to really step back and, and rethink what they're doing in the cloud space. Pete, I cut you off earlier as you were changing. No, that's to okay. Ask a I mean, Joe, what you just said makes complete sense, right? Because that learning curve is significant for some people. So really what you're doing is you're, I mean, you, your product lowers that learning curve across multiple audiences. So, so the Kubernetes angle for that completely makes sense to me. Yeah. Okay, I have a couple of startup kind of culture questions to, to ask you that I hope you'll find a little bit fun here. So I'm, I'm looking at your about page. Can I assume that you do not employ a llama and instead are employ a employee who's camera shy and, in, and instead would prefer their headshot be of a llama? That is correct. And I've known, uh, this is Cyrus. I've known Cyrus for probably over 10 years now. Uh, he actually worked in my at Microsoft for some time. He worked at Google for some time. My entire time knowing him, he's always had a picture of a llama. I, he doesn't seem to have a llama obsession other than the fact that his, his photo is always a llama. 
<laughs> See, I thought you were going to say, and I've never met him. He, he, right. I don't know what never he looks like. Him. He could be that llama, and I don't know. No, in fact, so, I saw him this morning, and he did not look like a llama. Okay, so is this is this a is this a pet llama? Is this like like how did you go about selecting that specific llama to represent him on on your headshot? I don't know. Uh, I do know he's had several different llama photos over the last. Okay, time. so that was going to be the next one. Was like, is this some long dead llama that is like living on <laughs> memory, or is this like like I've I'm an unreasonable amount of llama questions, obviously. Um, yeah, but the other question, family of llamas that I don't know about, but like lives in his backyard secretly. All right, yeah, See, I'm very this, curious. This, I don't know. That's it's obviously unusual. So I had all these llama-based questions that came up as a result. <laughs> but one, so one of the fun things about working at Startup is coming up with the name and coming up with like the color scheme and so forth. So, so what's the history behind the the name Palumi and and what was that process like? Yeah, so the, the name is actually sort of an honorary name for a friend of mine and Eric, my co-founder. His name is Chris Broom. He was, we worked with him for many years at Microsoft. He was at Google for a few years after that. And he was actually advising the startup. Uh, he sort of like inspired us to create a bunch of it. And unfortunately, he passed away at the oh, very end. Uh, but his last name, it's kind of funny. It's, it's kind of a tongue-in-cheek thing because his last name is Broom, B-R-U-M-M-E. But everybody mispronounced it as broom, um, and so that was always a running joke. So, bro uh, so Palumi is actually Hawaiian for broom. Uh, it turns out uh. he was actually from Hawaii as well. So he he's a very um, dry humor kind of guy. So it's kind of a double double joke there. But um, but unfortunate history. It was also you know six letter name and the domain name was available so yeah well that's half of it right is what domain name and what twitter handle can you get your hands on for free but that you found a way to to honor a friend that helped you start this to begin with that's a yeah. that's a really sweet story thank you yeah. so much for sharing that yeah that is that is a good story which leads me to believe well to hope that you've got a good story about how you got into tech how'd you how'd you uh, wind up walking down this path yeah it's kind of an interesting story so i guess I, got, I started programming when I was uh, like 12, I guess, but I got into it because my friend's father worked at IBM and he told me one day, hey, did you know you can create your own games if you just you know, learn how to write code? I'm like, all right, that's motivation enough. So then I, I started programming in C, which was an awful choice. I don't recommend it for a 12 year old mind to grasp what code <laughs> was. I just remember just is very, uh, yeah. 12-year-old Malik and free doesn't go well. That's right. Um, so, you know, throughout my teens, I, I, I sort of, like, uh, learned how to program better. And I actually started a consulting company when I was still in high school to do this back when this uh, World Wide Web thing was uh, starting to come on the scene. And so I sort of helped small businesses get to the Internet, sort of, sort of e-commerce, you know, if I, their businesses, both the back end and the front end. And honestly, that was a great experience for, you know, I look back on that. I learned how to interface with customers, how to do a little bit of sales, a little bit of customer support, kind of do everything. Um, but I eventually decided, hey, I want to do, get into a real job. So I went and worked at EMC for a few years. I grew up uh, around the Boston area and they were kind of the big company back then. Um, and so that was a great experience. It was a very IBM sort of like culture back then. Uh, so I saw a different side of enterprise computing. And then eventually, you know, I, I sort of fell in love with Java and then .NET, and that led me to Microsoft. Nice. Did you ever wind up writing the game? You know, sometimes I go back to it. I'm not nearly as creative as I used to be when I was a kid. Uh, and unfortunately, I've lost all of my hard drives from the games I did write back then. Um, 
That is a shame, but it is a good story. I like it. I like yeah. it. Yeah. Hey, Pete, that was that was the end of my questions. I want to give you a yeah. chance. Is there anything else you wanted to ask? Are you I guess I just wanted to follow up with, I mean, obviously you can go to www.palumi.com to find out more. Is there an event that you guys are having that you're going to be at soon or a webinar or something like that that you'd like to promote as we, as we part here? Yeah, for sure. So if you're in Seattle, we have a new meetup. Uh, we're starting a user group. We just moved into new digs downtown. Uh, so we're going to be doing another one in April. You can look on meetup to find, find out about that. We will nice. be at uh, GlueCon. We're sponsoring GlueCon. We're sponsoring KubeCon. I think this year, you know, we raised our Series A in, in October. Uh, and so we've got a bit more funds to actually get out there. So we're going to be trying to make the rounds at all the relevant conferences. So definitely looking forward to it. Follow us on Twitter. Always happy to chat with, with anyone. We have a community Slack also that's super vibrant. It's great to see the community helping the community. And it's really growing and exploding. Yeah. So feel free to join that too. Glucon is always awesome. That should be required. You, every developer needs to go at least once. Yeah, looking forward to it. Great. Well, thank you so much, Joe, for being on the show, for explaining what Palumi is about, for tolerating our crazy questions, especially the questions about llamas. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime. It was we, a lot of fun. We greatly enjoyed talking with you and, and learning about your company. So, so thanks so much. And uh, we hope you'll come back soon and uh, share with us uh, progress as things move along. Awesome. Thank you both. All right. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye, Pete.